Hey, good morning. How are you guys? Good, good. My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge. We're so glad that you guys are here. Can we give it up for those kids one more time? Is that not amazing? It's, it's hard for me just sitting out there during worship and watching the kids. It's like not to get just like a little bit emotional watching them up here just singing and dancing and having a blast and like how grateful, that's my daughter crying right there, walking out, uh, yep. It's always the pastor's kid, always the pastor's kid. Uh, it, it's, it's like how grateful I am. And I know those of you who are parents feel the same way, that our kids get the benefit of being in a church that cares so deeply about these little ones that hundreds of volunteers would take their time out this week to be a part of our kids' camp. And to invest in them in the way that they do, I'm just unbelievably grateful. And we are so blessed, so lucky uh, to be in an environment like this, like Northridge. Who cares about our kids? They care about our students, our high school kids, our middle school kids, our young adults. We really believe in the next generation and put a lot of resources and a lot of time and a lot of energy into teaching them how to love Jesus and uh, depend on Him and trust in Him through the difficulties of life. I just think it's, it's amazing. I'm really grateful for that. I'm also thankful that we're part of a church that doesn't just care about our own kids, but we care about all kids. And one of the really cool things you probably heard about in Northridge News uh, a minute ago is this backpack uh, drive that we're doing right now. Uh, that really uh, it's for kids that can't afford a backpack or school supplies and specifically for foster kids. We really believe in foster kids around here. We have a ministry that reaches out to them. And so I just want to encourage you, if you haven't participated in that yet, like, again, I'm just, I'm so grateful. I don't have to worry about getting a backpack for my kid and school supplies, uh, but there's a lot of kids that don't get that. And so uh, you can text the word backpack to 31616. Or even better yet, just go out in the lobby today. We have a whole display out there of backpacks. You can buy a backpack for a foster kid or school supplies or whatever. But I really want to encourage you to do that because we believe in the next generation and we want to show them our generosity. We want to show them the love of Christ. And uh, I just think it's a phenomenal thing we're doing. So please take time to do that. So uh, we're in our Northridge Summer Series. If you've been around this summer, you know we've been looking at different stories out of the Old Testament. And God's timing is so cool with like having the kids up here this week. And it ties in with the story because this is a story. I think it's, it's so important for us to understand what's going on with this story. We've got a generation of people uh, that existed that had a promise from God. And the promise was that they could inherit and move into what was called the promised land. This is a land that represents abundance. It represents God's plan for his people. And there's a generation of people that had the opportunity to claim that, but they missed it. And they missed it because they could not believe, they could not trust that God's power was available to them. And they had several opportunities to move into the promised land and they didn't. There's a series of misfires where they just couldn't trust that God was good enough. They just couldn't trust that God was powerful enough. They just couldn't trust this plan that God had for his life. And the reason they couldn't, you read in the Old Testament, there's a book called Numbers. And in the book of Numbers, they talk about how their perspective of themselves, they called themselves grasshoppers. They're like, we're like, we're like grasshoppers. Like God's calling us to the, the promised land to live this life. But we've seen the promised land. And while it's beautiful and amazing, there's also like 
trouble there and there's enemies there and we don't think we can overcome it. We're like grasshoppers. We're like these tiny little beings that will get wiped out if we do this. And they could not see God's efficiency. They could not see that God was good enough. He was powerful enough that they could live the life that he had for them. Instead, they choose to just grumble and live a life of fear and they missed out on what God had for them. So an entire generation of people die off and God says, you didn't trust me enough. You couldn't move into the promised land, but the next generation, I believe that they will trust me enough. And that's when we pick up the story. It's Joshua chapter one. And so now Moses has died. This generation has died off. God's brought up a new leader, Joshua, who was kind of Moses's aide. And it's like, I'm gonna give you guys an opportunity. I want you to take hold of an opportunity that the previous generation couldn't take hold of, right? So I'm gonna read you this story. I gotta tell you on the front end, it's a little bit longer than normal, like this text. So I need you to kind of lean in. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, my wife and little two-year-old just went screaming out of the auditorium, but uh, I, I'm so happy to have him with me this weekend. It's been so awesome to have him traveling with me. And uh, I've been able to bounce things off my wife. I wouldn't normally get to bounce off people. So we were on our way after church last night. And I asked her, I was like, what did you think of the message? Which is a very vulnerable question to ask your wife, right? She was like, I thought it was good. I was like, okay, but I could tell the way she ended good that there was more to it. And I really didn't want to know the more, but I was like, you know, what, what like, what else? She was like, well, I, I think it was, it was a little slow in the beginning. I was like, okay, I understand. Thank you for your feedback. And I can't wait for you guys to come back to church with me in like 20 years. That would be fantastic. So it's a lot. I know it's a little slow here, but kind of lean in, right? And it won't feel quite as slow, right? So here we are, Joshua 1. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. So guys, like, I got this promise. We've got this land. We've got this life for you, but you're going to have to cross the Jordan River to get to it. He says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so God was with Moses. He's like, I was with Moses. I was with the last generation that just couldn't see it right? He says, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because I will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So this is God saying to Joshua, listen, Joshua, don't make the same mistake your parents made. Don't make the same mistake the last generation made. They could not trust. They could not believe that I was sufficient enough to enable them to do what it is that I called them to do. I need you to trust. Joshua, be strong, be courageous. I have a life for you, right? It's a life of abundance. It's a life of success. I want to lead you guys into the promised land, but I have to know that you trust me. I need you to lean into me. 
So then we read that Joshua does this a few verses later. It says, so Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. So Joshua's like, yep, I'm not making the same mistake the last generation made. We are going to cross the Jordan River. So he gets specific commands to the people, like this is what we're going to do. Now, side note, real quick, for those of you that are leaders, maybe you lead in your business, maybe you lead in your home, maybe you're leading in a school somewhere. For those of you that are leaders, take note of Joshua's example. Joshua was a great leader, but what made him a great leader was not his willingness to give direction, to give insight, to give feedback. What made Joshua a great leader is that he was also willing to be led. Right? He was willing to be led. He was willing to say, God, you're calling me to go into something I've never been into before. You're calling us to step foot in places I've never gone before. And so as you lead me, I will lead the people. That's the difference between a good leader and a great leader. Right? A good leader can lead and they have skills and they have abilities. A great leader is a leader who's also willing to be led. To say, I, I have, I have a, a larger power. I have a higher power that I'm surrendering my life to. And as that higher power, as God leads me, so I will lead others. And then God gives Joshua some very specific instructions. He says, now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priest who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will cut off and stand up in a heap. Very specific instructions, right? He says, here's the way it's going to go down, right? I, I want everybody to be behind the priest. The priests are carrying the ark of the Lord. That's just, sometimes it's called the ark of the covenant. It, it was representing God's presence at this time to his people. He's like, as soon as those priests step foot in the water, not before, but when they put their foot in the water, you're going to see my power. I'm, I'm going to, I'll stop the water flowing and you guys will be able to cross over into the Jordan River. Not before, but when that happens, I'll release my power. Now, to understand the significance of this story, you also have to understand the significance of the Jordan River to the people of Israel. It was a literal and figurative barrier. It's literally what's keeping God's people who are on this side, right? Then there's the Jordan River. And then there's the land that God's calling them to take over, right? It's a barrier. It's what's keeping them from living the life that God has for them. Now, what's really interesting in the story is what they're about to discover when they finally get to the Jordan River. We read in verse 15 that the river's at flood stage. So what was already going to be extremely difficult has now become seemingly impossible. There's no way they can get across this. Unless God does something... Unless God acts, they're stuck. So a couple observations I think are really important in the story I want to point out. There's three of them. The first one is this. Often God will allow you to find yourself facing a seemingly impossible situation. Which is exactly where some of you are right now, right? You're facing a situation, a circumstance that seems impossible. It might have something to do with your kids. It might have something to do with your health. I have something to do with your finances or your vocation, but whatever's in front of you right now, you're like, I don't see a way. I don't see how this is going to work out. I don't see how anything good could come out of this situation. 
Now, a question I have to ask when I read this story is, like, why do they have to cross a flooded river, right? It, crossing a river alone was going to be difficult, but now they're having to cross a flooded river that's humanly impossible for them to get across on their own. And I think that's actually the whole point. I think this is by design, right? Because I'm thinking if I'm Joshua and I get to the river and it's a flooded river, I'm like, hey, we've already waited 40 years for this moment. What's another week? Let's just hang out here. Let's sit around, play some Uno or something and wait for these floodwaters to recede and then we'll cross. It's still going to be difficult, but at least it won't be impossible. But I'm telling you, God's timing here is perfect because now what they have to do is rely on God to make a way where there is no way. And God's like, listen, the problem with your parents' generation and the reason they never got this opportunity is because they relied on themselves. They relied on their own gifts. They relied on their own abilities. They relied on their own strength. They relied on their own resources and it got them nowhere. They were stuck. They were wandering for 40 years. I'm not going to let you guys make the same mistake. You can't rely on your gifts, on your wisdom, on your resources, on your power, on your strength. I'm putting you in a situation right now and I'm telling you, I'm going to make a way. I will get you across the Jordan River, but I need your attention. I need you to realize this has nothing to do with you and it has everything to do with me. I need you to trust so you can picture the scene, right? The Israelites are moving towards the flooded Jordan River. The priests are in the front. They're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, right? And they're marching towards this flooded river with the instruction that when the priest puts his foot in the water, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a way. And I'm just like picturing, if I'm like the priest in the front, like carrying the Ark, getting close to the edge, so I'm like, look back, hey, Fred. I was in the front yesterday. How about today you be in the front, right? Like, it's your turn. I would like to give you the honor of stepping into the flooded river and potentially being swept away, right? Like, but they're marching towards it. Here they come. And God is teaching his people a huge lesson. Israel faced an obstacle. The Jordan is a barrier. They got to get across it to live the life that God has for them. And God's power is sufficient. God will deliver them. God will make a way, but... They have to take the first step. What God is teaching them is that most often his power is power along the way. Now that's not the way we generally want it, right? Because if I'm Joshua and the Israelites, what I'm thinking is, hey God, how about you show the power when I'm about 100 yards away from the river, right? Like, let's make it easy. As I get close to the river, you'll part the water and you'll make a way. I don't want to have to like put my foot in the water, Right? I, I want your power like long before I get into the difficult situation. But God's saying, no, 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 no. You got to take the first step. You got to take this first step. You will not see God's power. You'll not see his faithfulness. You'll not see his sufficiency until you take the first step. This is God saying, I want you to take a step into the Jordan. I want you to see me at work. I'm going to teach you what it's like to be in a relationship with me, this is the way that trust works. Now, here's a second observation, and it's this. Every great outcome begins with a courageous first step. Every great outcome begins with a courageous first step. And you got to think in the story, what if they don't put their feet in the water, right? They don't put their feet in the water. They don't see God's power. They don't live the life that God has for them. God often asks us to do something very important 
but relatively small, right? This is doable. They can put their feet in the water. They may not want to, but they can do it, right? God often asks us to do things that are very important, but relatively small. A great example for this for me is I think back um, to when I first got saved and somebody told me one of my first steps of obedience would be to get baptized. I'm like, oh, really? That's like a thing? And they're like, yeah, yeah. This it symbolizes what Jesus has done for you and being buried with Christ and risen with him again. It's like very important step, but relatively easy, right, to get baptized. I mean, as far as I know here at Northridge, we have never lost anybody in that tub over there. We used to do a lot of baptisms out in that lake. Didn't lose anybody out there either. Like, again, very important step, but relatively easy, right? But with this, they unlock the power of God and they get to walk where they've never walked before into the promised land. They get to live a life that God has for them that they've never lived before. But they have to take the step, right? So you get to verse 15. It says, now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. And now again, they get to walk where they've never walked before. They get to experience things they've never experienced before, but they had to step into the water. They had to take that. God is teaching his people this whole concept of spiritual risk-taking. You take the risk, you take the step of obedience, and then God's power is released. See, I think often what, what we're waiting for is we, we think that we think God's looking for these spiritual giants, right? To use in these miraculous ways. The God, God's, you know, looking for these spiritual giants. He's looking for these people who, you know, have dotted all the I's and they've crossed all the T's. They've lived, you know, almost perfect lives. They have these perfect little families. Like they've done really well in life. They've been, you know, like somehow they've, they've escaped any scandals. Like these are the kind of people that God are looking for. The reality is, and this is true all the way throughout scripture, God is not looking for perfection. What he's looking for is simply availability and willingness. Everyone God has used all throughout history has been deeply flawed, deeply flawed. Everyone God has used throughout history, they're like crooked sticks, but God can take a crooked stick and he can draw a straight line. Obedience triggers the miraculous. And here's the third and final observation. It's this, the God who brought you to it is the one who will see you through it, right? The God who brought you to it is the one who will see you through it. Now, we clap at that and we should because it's true, but it, while it sounds like a really cute kind of religious phrase, the kind of thing you'd, you know, we, if we put that on a t-shirt, you'd probably buy it. Um, you know, you'd get the bumper sticker or whatever. The God who brought you to it is the one who will see you through it. I get it. Again, scripturally true. But I don't actually always like that statement if I'm honest. And the reason I don't always like that statement is because I don't, nece I don't necessarily want God to rescue me through it. I want him to rescue me from it. Right? If I'm honest about the Jordan Rivers in my life, and I have several of them right now, like, I don't want to go through it. My prayer is, hey, God, how about take me around the Jordan River? How about make the Jordan River disappear? How about make that whole circumstance just disappear? Because I know you have the power to do it, right? Could you just make her disappear? Could you just make this situation disappear? 
Could you just like make my financial stresses just disappear? Like I don't want to be necessarily rescued through it. I want to be rescued from it. But the reality is God almost always rescues us through it. There's a big difference between being rescued from it and being rescued through it, which then I've got to ask the question, why does God often deliver us through it instead of from it? And I think that's pretty clear. It's because God cares more about your character than he does your comfort. And the things that you and I want to develop in our life, things like strength, character, faith, perspective, resilience, endurance, mercy, compassion, empathy, all these things that we know make a good human being, right? All these things that we really need to survive this life. Those things don't come from being rescued from something. Those things are developed inside of us as we go through something. So God's promise is, listen, not only am I with you, I'm gonna be ahead of you. I'm gonna be ahead of you. But I'm probably not gonna rescue you from it, I'm gonna rescue you through it. Now, a couple quick personal questions for you as we wrap up. The first is this, what's your Jordan River? What's the barrier? What is it that you think is keeping you right now from living the life that God has for you? And then I would ask you this, where is God asking you to take a step of faith? Again, often, often it is a very important but relatively easy step, right? Easy. So where is God asking you right now to just take a step of faith? Where is he asking you to trust him? Another way of kind of getting to what your barrier is or what your Jordan is, it's one of my favorite questions to ask people. It's what are you tolerating right now? As you sit on the bank of the Jordan River, right, what are you tolerating? Because here's what I know. Every one of us, we have some kind of Jordan that we face. Everybody in this room faces the barrier that's keeping us right now from living a more fuller life with Christ. And God says, I've already gone ahead of you. I'll be with you every step of the way. I've already occupied the land. I know about all the pitfalls that lie ahead of you. I want to take you through this. Will you trust me? And stepping into the Jordan, whatever the Jordan is for you, always involves overcoming some kind of fear. That's why God says to Joshua at the very beginning, Joshua chapter one, we read that, right? He says, be strong and courageous. He says it over and over. Don't fear. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Don't be discouraged. Trust me. And here's something else I know about us. It's that we're not going to just accidentally stumble into God's plan for our life. I hear this all the time from people. I get it. I've been there many times in my life where I'm like, God, what's the plan? Right? People all the time will ask me, I, you know, Pete, I'm trying to figure out God's plan for my life. Could you help? Listen, here's the thing. God's plan for your life more than likely is not just going to float down from the heavens and land in your lap. You're not going to accidentally become the man or woman God has called you to be. You're not going to accidentally become the husband or wife or father or mother or grandparent that God's calling you to be. No, it takes intention. It requires faith. It requires action. You gotta take a step. And your Jordan might be a destructive habit that you need to let go of. Your Jordan might be a phone call you need to make. It might be a resume you need to send. It might be a relationship risk 
that you need to take, I have no idea what your Jordan is. It might be a step towards baptism, maybe getting more involved here at Northridge and serving or becoming more generous. I have no idea what it is. But if you want to pinpoint it, I would ask you, where are you most afraid right now? Like in your life, in your relationships, where are you most afraid? That'll probably give you a good idea, right, of where your barrier is. That'll give you a good idea of where God's calling you to trust Him in your life. I was talking to a guy this week uh, who is, he, he's at a crossroads, right? And he senses that God's calling him to do something pretty big. And I would agree with him. This is pretty, pretty big. It's a life-changing kind of decision. And um, we were talking, he was like, Pete, literally just talking about this right now, my palms are getting so sweaty. You ever, you're in that situation where you're just like so nervous that you're, you remember Eminem? He talked about this. <laughs> wrong crowd. All right, wrong crowd. That's right. But it, it, your hands just start to get sweaty. So we keep talking about this. Literally, we're talking about this for like 30 minutes. And like 30 minutes later, we're still talking about this situation. He's like, Pete, no, seriously, like right now my mouth is getting dry. I'm so nervous. I'm like, wait, your palms are sweaty and your mouth is dry. I have the fix. You just need to lick your palms. The gift of mercy is a, is a beautiful thing, right? So I bring that up because I think it's palm licking time for some of you. It's time for some spiritual risk taking. And God's power, generally speaking, gets released when somebody trusts him enough to simply obey and take a step. And listen, some people spend their whole life standing on the banks of the Jordan River. Some people spend their whole life just standing on the bank saying, God, you make it easy, right? You part the water and I will run right across. And God's like, eh, that's not really the way it works. If you're waiting for me to make it easy, you're going to be sitting there on the banks for a long, long time. Some of you are like, oh, God, like, just make it easy. I want to become a generous person. Like, just give me lots of money and I'll become a generous person, right? Make it easy. Let me win the lottery. You ever hear people say that? Like, if I won the lottery, I would be so generous with my money. Really? I tell people all the time, listen, if you can't be generous making $35,000 a year, you will not be generous when you make $350,000 a year. You won't. Don't fool yourself, right? Because it's not a money issue, it's a heart issue, right? It doesn't get easier to become generous when you get more money. It actually becomes a little bit more difficult because you have more right? It's harder to release it. You're standing back and you're saying, God, you make it easy and then I'll cross the Jordan. Then I'll become that person. No, God's like, that's not the way it works. Some of you are like, God, just give me a lot of confidence and I will tell somebody about you and what you've done in my life. Just make it easy. Like that guy over there, I'll tell him about you, but just have him come over and ask me about you and then I'll tell him about you. God's like, no, 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 no. That's not the way it works power along the way. Put your foot in the water. Start the conversation. Then I'll give you the courage as you go, right? That's the way it works. You got to get your feet wet. And here's where we can help each other as a church, all right? I've seen this dynamic play out in so many situations, but there's something about, there's something contagious about being around other people who are willing to get their feet wet. Um, this summer, uh, we've been taking our two-year-old Pepper to the pool a lot, and it's been, it's, 
mostly it's been fun. Sometimes it's been miserable, but mostly it's been really fun. We'll take her to the pool. She can't swim. If you drop her in the water, she'll sink like a rock. Like she has no swimming ability whatsoever right now. But through the summer, I've been trying to teach her to jump into the pool to me. And she wears these floaties, so it's pretty safe and all that. And the beginning of the summer, it wouldn't do it. She would stand there on the edge of the pool for like minutes just standing there. I could tell she wanted to. Sometimes she would lean. Sometimes she'd bend her knees like she was going to. But then she'd always get afraid and kind of run off. And she played this game over and over. She would not jump in. But as the summer progressed, you know what happened? She'd be standing there on the edge and there'd be other kids that would be jumping in the water. And she'd watch them jump in. And she'd see how much fun they were having as they jumped into the water. Right, it's just like this really cool thing. And by watching other kids jump into the water over time, she got the courage to try it. And she jumped in the water and guess what happened? I caught her and she had a blast. She splashed around and now she keeps getting out of the pool and jumping into the water I mean, over and over and over. But two things had to happen. Number one, she had to borrow the courage of the people around her that were jumping into the water right? And the second thing that had to take place is she had to know that she was jumping to somebody she fully trusted. See, if you come over to the pool in our neighborhood and you get in the water and you ask Pepper to jump into the water to you, she probably won't do it. I hope she doesn't do it, <laughs> right? I want her to be, have a little bit of fear there. She's like, I don't know. I don't know that guy. I'm not going to jump to that guy. I don't know if he's actually going to catch me, but I know my dad's going to catch me. He's caught me time and time again. I trust him. Those two things had to happen, right? And this is part of what happens in Christian community. You got to surround yourself with some other people who are willing to take some spiritual risk, who are willing to get their feet wet a little bit because you can borrow their courage. It's a really cool thing. And I'm not saying everybody in your life has to be a spiritual risk taker or everybody in your life has to be willing to get your feet wet, but you need a few. Trust me, you need a few. You're going to have to borrow their courage from time to time. I guarantee it. And I'm so grateful in my life. I had a grandfather who's a spiritual risk taker and I watched him do it for years. I had a dad who's a spiritual risk taker. I watched him do it for years, right? And, and, and I've had other people, I've had mentors, Pastor Brad. That man has taken spiritual risk after spiritual risk after spiritual risk. And there's a lot of us who wouldn't even be here without the spiritual risk that he's taken. He's gotten his feet wet time and time again. This church is full of people willing to get their feet wet. See this building that we're in right now? Guess what? It wasn't just some vacant building that we got offered for free. There were thousands of people who were extremely generous with the money God had given them, and they sacrificed that and built this unbelievable facility where people could come and hear about the hope of Jesus Christ, right? You and I are the benefits, beneficiaries of the people who are willing to take that risk and get their feet wet. It's a contagious kind of thing that happens, right? Parents, listen to me. If you're a parent, one of the most important gifts you could ever give your kids is the example of being a spiritual risk taker. Your kids are growing up and they're watching you. They're watching everything that you do. And when your kids see you willing to get their feet wet, man, when it's their time, when it's their opportunity to trust God with a situation in their life that's kind of scary, guess what? They're a lot more willing to do it because you set that example for them. One of the cool parts of this story I don't have time to get into, but 
There was another instruction God gave them as they were crossing the Jordan River. He instructed some of them to go back in and to get these big stones out of the riverbed. And then he told them to take those 12 stones and essentially create the structure, this altar. And that was to be there generation after generation. So that one day, that generation that crossed across, they're walking by those stones with their kids and their kids are like, what's that? Like, oh, I gotta tell you the story. That represents that we have a God who can make a way when there is no way. That represents there's a God that you can trust. And when life gets scary and there's a little bit of turmoil and you feel like you have to step into something you're a little bit scared of, you can trust him because he can make a way where there is no way. So, some of you have been on the banks for a while, right? You've been on the banks and you've been waiting for it to be easy, but it's not going to get easy. You're going to be sitting there a long time. Some of you used to get into the water all the time. You used to be a spiritual risk taker, but somewhere along the way, something happened. You allowed fear to kind of overtake your life. And now you find yourself on the bank. I get it. I've had those seasons too. It feels safe there, doesn't it? feels a little bit secure but the problem is the water is where God is that's where the miraculous happens that's where his power and his sufficiency are released so I want to ask you are you willing to get your feet wet it's a willingness to say I might look a little foolish it's a willingness to say I don't know exactly how this is going to turn out but I'm tired of being on the banks I'm tired of a mediocre life I want to live everything God has for me and I'm willing to take that step into this difficult situation believing that God will deliver me through it and make look different than the way that I thought it was going to look but I'm going to trust him are you willing to take the step are you willing to get your feet wet Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. And gosh, what an amazing day it's been. Let's think about this past hour and everything we've gotten to experience and watching those kids up here jumping around with so much joy, worshiping you. It was contagious. And God, I guess, I guess, I guess we could sit back and we could say, oh, no, that, that's a generation right there that's got a lot of energy for the Lord. That's a group of spiritual risk takers right there. Why don't we stay on the banks and let them step into the water? Oh, it would be easy to do that. But God, my prayer is that we will not be a generation that makes the same mistake that Moses' generation made. That we won't live in fear and grumble sitting on the banks wondering what if but that in this moment God we would step in that we would put our foot into the water God we know it's not going to be easy we know it's not going to just dry up on its own we know you're not going to just build a bridge over it the command is to be obedient to step into it to trust that your power will be released as we take the first step so God, give us that strength. Give us that courage to do exactly that. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful to be a part of a church that's full of people who are willing to get their feet wet, who don't want to miss out on what God has for them. And God, we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor because you are a God who makes a way when there is no way. For it's in your holy and your precious name we pray.
Amen.